enter ourselves into the presence of God with the encouragement of the words just sung, inviting God to abide with us, to lead us, to direct us. And as we've reflected on, on the words that God is an everlasting God, a never-changing God, His love endures forever, His grace is enough. These powerful anthems of the person and presence of God in our lives reveals to us, I believe, a messianic invitation. An invitation that we first see in, in Isaiah chapter 40 articulated for us. So if you want to turn there with me, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs, it's on page 599. And through Isaiah chapter 40, we have revealed for us the heartbeat of God, the passion that God has for His people, so that we in turn can be embraced by Him and do the things that God's crazy about to do. What an invitation. We see it also in the New Testament when Jesus begins His ministry. If you turn to Luke chapter 4, In Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And with that pronouncement and invitation, Christ initiated his ministry. Isaiah chapter 40 provides for us a similar invitation. An invitation to come with the power and presence of God to embrace those around us in such a way that they see the grace of God flowing in and through us to them. And in so doing, we in turn are captivated by a life of faith. Faith is a peculiar thing. It reminds me of the Huey Lewis song, you know, love is a peculiar thing, right? Faith is a peculiar thing. Because once we figure figure out that we've got it all in step, something comes along to upset our apple cart. And just when we think we've got God boxed, he squeaks out and surprises us. Because he wants to invite us to a place of continual renewing faith in him, trust in him. And in Isaiah 40, we're introduced once again to this concept that the adventure of living our faith is fused in the call of God on our life to trust him, to depend upon him, to do things in the way that he has called us to respond to who we are in Christ, children. Dearly loved, adopted, cared for, cherished, honored. And in such a relationship, to try something different. Trust. The old song, trust and obey, for there's no other way. The chapter begins with an interesting testimony. And the testimony is that of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was a God-fearing ruler of the nation. And there he was seeking to help the people understand who God was and to live in obedience to the teachings of God. And in their teachings of God and the following of God, God in turn blessed the nation with with peace and with uh, prosperity and, and, and a good reputation around them. 
And one day Isaiah was sent by God to King Hezekiah and with a message. King Hezekiah, your time's up. The expiry date has come. Sorry. Sucks to be you. No, that's not part of the original. But um, you're done. And King Hezekiah was upset. He turned his back to the people. He sat on his, he, he lay on his bed weeping and crying and calling out to God and said, God, what's going on? I've done everything you've wanted me to do. We've got people ticking along here. Things are going well. Everything's going okay. What's going on? Why can't you just give me a little more running room here? God relented. And sent back a message through Isaiah back to King Hezekiah and said, Okay, you've got some more time. Ooh, heady stuff. Ooh. Praying to God and God changes his mind. Well, some well-wishers came to, you know, wish him, you know, good luck and everything and, you know, say thank you for taking your meds and and everything's going well. It's good to see that. And and, uh, so the king... Naturally speaking, was kind of enthused, you know. So he said to these well-wishers, well, let me show you around. So he showed him everything. He showed him his armory, showed him his granary, showed him his treasury, showed him his fortifications, showed him his vineyards, showed him everything. You know, he says, yeah, this is what God's been doing. Everything's going well. And Isaiah came back to him and said, what, what, what are you doing? Well, he's... he's well-wishers are from Babylon, from a far-off place. Don't worry about them, you know, just showing them off, showing them everything I got. And Isaiah said, God's going to lead the people captive to that far-off place. What stopped you from trusting? It was only natural. It was only natural for, for Hezekiah to fall into this trap of thinking that he had accomplished a whole lot and so he figured he'd pulled himself up by his own bootstraps and so why not crow a bit well you know the rooster who crows too early becomes tomorrow's supper and here he was trying to take credit for what God had been doing in his life and Isaiah called him on it and I wonder at times if when I look into the mirror of my soul, if I fall into the same trap of Hezekiah and I become contented and boastful of, of what seems to be going on in my life, you know, my, we live in a beautiful home, have a great family, things are going well, everything's, you know, ticking along except for the Canucks. <coughs> everything's going okay. You know, and we get this feeling like it's because of me and I, and it's doing that, and realize that it's only natural. Start taking credit. And God wants to invite us to something that's beyond natural. See, it's not natural to comfort people, it's not natural to reach out and care for others. 
It's not natural to give of our resources sacrificially in order for someone else to benefit. It's not natural for us to give of our time. It's not natural for us to come in second place. It's not natural. But God is inviting us to a messianic practice. It was only supernatural that the Lord Jesus Christ coming down to heaven to become a man, growing up, sinless, dying for us, that we might have life in him simply by calling upon him. And I wonder at times if, if we get caught up in the natural as a, as a church and think that we've got to come up with Strategic plans that map out the next five years of our life. And we've got to make sure that our everything is tickety-boo and our budget is all okay. And I'm not suggesting for a moment we don't plan, but I'm wondering at times if the general practice of a Canadian church is to plan without depending. Without recognizing that, that the supernatural God may be calling us to a collective expression of faith and trust in Him that is beyond our imagination and our current ability to accomplish. That's what God's doing in Isaiah chapter 40. The book of Isaiah is divided into two key parts. The first 39 chapters are almost like the Old Testament in nature. They, they give to us the, the prophecies of God concerning the people of Israel, the things that God has in store for them, how God wants to shape them and mold them, and how they, if they do not follow God, will be judged by God and brought back to a place with God. And then there's a natural break, it seems, from chapter 39 to chapter 40. And it's as if some commentators would say that Isaiah thought that everything was done in his writing But then suddenly God revealed something more later on in Isaiah's ministry and he had to record that. And so the next chapters, 40 to 66, seem to be like the New Testament, filled with hope, filled with grace, filled with comfort and encouragement in recognition that the Messiah was coming. And in the Messiah, we have life. So that in the midst of crisis, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of disaster, when we focus on the Messiah, there's hope, comfort, compassion, and care. Isaiah chapter 40 begins this way. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And the chapter ends in this way. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When God invites the people to comfort his people, he's not simply including those who are God-fearers. Sure, Daniel and his cohorts were led away to Babylon. The priests were led away to Babylon. Other God-fearing people were led away to Babylon. But with them, also in chains, were thousands of mediocre, normal people. People filled with fears. People filled with emotional stress. Physical stress. Spiritual emptiness. 
And to these people, God calls out, comfort my people. To all of those who are hurting, bring comfort. The second foundational point is this as well. In in chapter 40, verse 6, beginning there for the next few verses, and then in 7 he says, The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Life here on earth will fade away. But the promises of God will stand forever. One of the things that I'm beginning to realize as I look into the mirror every morning is that I have an expiry date. I just don't know when. You know, when I was 20, I thought I was invincible. And now that I'm a little older than that, I realize I no longer can move pianos. We sometimes realize as our bodies fail us that there is a termination to life here on earth. And we look around us and we see the frailty of others and we realize that while our friends may fail and those we love may pass, God's word is true. We can find solace in the knowledge that God is with us. He will not abandon us. In fact, the Messiah is promised in chapter 40, verse 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord comes, mighty with his arm. He will tend his flock like a sheep, shepherd, in verse 11, and gather the lambs in his arms. The Messiah is coming. And we can have a relationship with him even now. Simply by calling. God loves us. God cherishes us. He calls us children. He calls us dearly loved. He calls us valued. It's an interesting thing remembering how children operate. And maybe I'm not as good as you are, but maybe you can remember the time when when you walk into a, a child's bedroom and there in faith, leaping from the top bunk, they greet you, knowing that somehow you will catch them before they fall. Or, as you are outside on a bike three times too big, telling them you can do it, they believe you. And you let go of the seat and off they go on their bike. Or sitting in the passenger seat as they confidently drive you to town. (laughs) Trust. We see it in our children. We see it in the world around us. We see it in, in people's relationships. And this is what God is inviting us to do. Comfort my people, but you're only going to be able to do it if you trust me. You're only going to be able to step into this messianic invitation of caring for others if you're willing to trust me. Because you know what? Every day is a new day of grace. God invites us to join 
in this dance of grace where we come into dependence upon him and in such a dependence invite others to choose the same. God began the dance when he said, let's create man in our image, male and female. So, rolling up his sleeves and getting his knees dirty, he bent down and formed man out of the dust, blowing life into him, and the race was on. Realizing that people were created in the image of God, and Don Richardson would suggest as well, All of those people, all of us, were created in the image of God with a God vacuum. Eternity in their hearts, he calls it. And all of us, with this vacuum for God, seek to find satisfaction in life with other things if we can't find God. We stuff in relationships We try to put in things that we can hold in our hands. We try to become successful in our careers. We try to do everything and anything in order to fill this vacuum, but we realize it is futile until it's filled with God. And there with God, we discover rest, peace, joy. When we realize we can't do the natural and need to approach the supernatural, we find life. But it's not easy. Even in churches, it's not easy. James tells a story that illustrates for us the importance of all people. He says, suppose a rich person came into your assembly. And you met him there at the door and you showed him to a nice comfortable seat and you brought a stool for his feet and you put him up there nicely and you said, here's a bulletin. And he was comfortable. And then suppose a poor person comes in and you look at them and you go, ooh, a little ripe. Say, sit over here. I'm sorry for the pillar, but sucks to be you. You're over here. You know, right? The story of James illustrates for us, really, rich or poor, we're all equal in God's sight, in need of His grace, forgiveness, and care. But it's only natural to show preferential treatment to people. It's only natural to extend our hands to those we feel can extend their hands back. It's only natural to get into a habit of scratching one person's back so yours as well can be scratched. But God invites us to go beyond the natural. How do we comfort others? Later in chapter 40 of Isaiah, we have for us, beginning in verse 21, a description of the character of God. 
He reveals, God begins to, to talk about creation. He begins to talk about all of the things that we find around us. And then who created all these things? Who brings them to life? How do we comfort others? Only as we begin to interpret and understand the character of God in our life. Jesus says in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. How do we comfort others? Only as we identify that we are comforted and cared for by the Creator Himself. And in that incredible position of relationship, find ourselves free to reach out. When? When should we comfort others? The last part of, the, of chapter 40 reminds us That he gives power to the faint. And even youths will faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. When do we comfort others? We comfort them when they are weary and tired of doing good. Who often is weary and tired of doing good? Have you ever considered for a moment just phoning up a parent? Or a single mom or a single dad? And just saying, you know, I was thinking of you today. I don't want to offer any parenting advice. I just was thinking of you. What about a minister? I'm not expecting, I don't want phone calls, so I'm not trying to coerce you into doing anything like that. Those who are weary and tired of doing good, a group leader, a ministry leader, phoning them up and saying, you know, I was just thinking about you today. Just want to pray for you. No strings attached. Just thinking of you. What about a youth in university? Going through the phone directory and thinking, oh, I haven't seen that person for a while. They, I don't know how in the world I could get in touch with them. Phoning up their mom and dad and asking how you might get in touch with them and then just giving them a call or writing them an email or a Facebook message or something like that and saying, you know what, I'm just thinking about you today. Young people who are in universities weary of doing good, weary of trying to maintain a Christian lifestyle in an environment of hostility. Just giving them a call, saying, thinking about you. How long does that take? Maybe five minutes of your life. That would be a blessing to both you and them. When do we comfort others? When their hope is lost in the battle for righteousness in a world of sin. Those who are sick, those who are shut in, our seniors in care homes, those who are widowed, the elderly, just popping in, thinking of you today. Even to those who are unable mentally to respond back or even acknowledge your existence. Just thinking about you today. How long would that take? 20 minutes? When do we comfort others? When their eyes are downcast. 
when their eyes are, are clouded from life and from the challenges they face, from the circumstances that seem to pile up and burden them beyond what they can bear, those who through different circumstances find themselves living now in poverty, realizing that their paycheck doesn't match their month, those shrouded in depression, Acts chapter 2 gives us an incredible promise. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm in the visions or dreaming category, but what I am sure of is that the power of God will come and renew and restore. And we can be a part of it. How long would that take? Why do we comfort others? We comfort others because it reveals to us the power of God. The power of God to change our life in response from going from what is natural and looking after our own selfish needs to doing what is supernatural and caring for those around us. To embrace the messianic invitation to care for people simply because They're created in the image of God. It reveals to us that God is alive and well. Thank you very much. And he's got a plan and a purpose for us here on planet earth. It reveals the power of God to fix the unfixable. How often do we grieve those whose marriages are falling apart? And we think there's nothing that can be done. Is God's arm too short? Is God's power too limited? That he can't fix the unfixable? It reveals the power of God to change the unchangeable. Those who are chained to addictions. Those who are captured by their own appetites. Is God too small? It reveals the power of God to redeem those who feel that they are unredeemable. The abused, the used, the discarded. It reveals the power of God to forgive the unforgivable. The victim and the perpetrator. It reveals the power of God to take what is natural and infuse it with supernatural grace in order to change my life, your life, our lives collectively. Comfort my people, God invites. Comfort the weak, the poor, the abandoned, the lonely, the widow, the broken, the marginalized, your family, your friends, your colleagues at work. Why? So that the glory of God can be revealed and others may embrace salvation. Comfort my people. 